Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Welcome everyone back uh, from their lunch. I just want to uh, remind the audience that there is another upcoming session, and all of the sessions are listed on the SACPA's website at www.sacpa.ca. Um, next week, um, the topic and title is The Costs of Homelessness. What are you willing to pay? So Audrey Scoop will be the guest speaker, and again, it's uh, here on Thursday. So... Um, there is a suggestion box in, in the lobby, so if there's any comments that you have or any um, hot topics that you would like SACPAD to take a look at, please do fill out those um, comment suggestions. So now it is time to invite Wade back to the podium to answer your questions. There is a mic here. Just a friendly reminder to keep all the, the questions quite limited with the time that we have. So if there's anybody that would like to start off, the mic is again right over here. And Wade, I will get back to you. Thank you. Um, feel like I just got through with a question and answer session. This is my first time at a SACPA event and the, the company I was with was rather engaging. It was quite a lot of fun, so I thank them. I also am going to uh, comment that I refrained initially from referring to the desserts as happy endings considering the nature of the uh, presentations. So any questions that people have, come on up. My name is Mark Gettle. Could you tell us what will take to change the law, uh, where it is now? What procedure will be required to make changes? Okay. Or how um, long will this law last unless it's challenged? When it first came out, uh, I was looking at some of the commentary on it, and my former professor at the University of Saskatchewan, Michael Plaxton, uh, basically summarized the attitude of, I guess, the prevailing academic community at the time saying, well, this law lasts about as long as it takes to get a charter um, argument before the court. And then he started looking at uh, the assumptions behind that and said, well, it might take a little bit longer than that. So in order to get this law changed, there's a couple of things that can happen. Um, one, it can be charter challenged, just like the old ones were under Bedford. And it'll have to be, they'll have to be uh, unique and new arguments because essentially... The argument that the existing laws were a threat to uh, to prostitutes has at least been somewhat addressed by the fact that prostitutes are no longer uh, at risk of prosecution. Um, however, there are other aspects of the law that are open to fresh um, fresh scrutiny, and one of which, which I didn't get a chance to talk uh, to touch on. Um, in the initial presentation was the fact that advertising of prostitution is now illegal if you're not advertising for yourself. So if I'm advertising my sexual services, that's fine. However, if I'm advertising anyone else's, that's an, that's illegal. And that raises massive um, freedom of expression issues. And uh, advertising is a uh, major part of Canadian law. There's a case called um, uh, Irwin Toy where advertising of 
toys that children are when children were watching TV was found to be an acceptable version of uh, free speech. So this might be a spin on Irwin toy. Uh, long story, long story short, with regards to your question, the law will last as long as either it is charter challenged. And in that case, we'll go back to having no law or we'll go back to having an, uh, the court's interpretation of that law or until a government comes in and repeals it and puts something new in. Terry Shellington, thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, I guess I have two questions if I get to ask the second one. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm confused about whether the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms makes it impossible to abolish uh, uh, prostitution. And I'm not necessarily advocating, adver- uh, uh, advocating the abolition, but I'm confused about whether that kind of uh, outright um, um, uh, abolition of, of uh, sale of sex is contrary to something in the Charter. Well, you can just join everyone with that. We don't know uh, whether or not uh, actual abolition of that activity is, is uh, again, allowed by the Charter. Um, in the prostitution reference case, which is the first time that that was kind of taken up, uh, they just looked at prostitution as an acceptable activity. However, in uh, concurring judgment, uh, I believe it was just Justice uh, Lamare, as he was then, really looked at the Section 7 rights with regards to liberty, and he considered, well, how far does economic rights go when it comes to liberty? Do you have the freedom to choose to do any type of career for the sake of of performing work? And uh, Justice Lamare, in that situation at least, said that, um, you know, there are ways to infringe that um, attitude now, his analysis on that wasn't picked up by either the majority or the dissent. Um, there have been, it's, there have been certain recognitions of liber, of economic rights in the charter. I'm thinking of perhaps the case of Chayuli, which has a qualified right to health care, or at least expands on that topic. But the actual right um, to choose what you practice is still an undecided decision and I think it's one that will eventually come at the heart of this uh, when this does eventually go before the court. So that'll be something that the judges will have to decide in the future. Uh, Secondly, just trying to simplify this matter for myself, I gather in our culture we have a fundamental disagreement about whether we will keep uh, the practitioners of uh, sex safe and, and our community safe or whether we'll abolish something sinful. Uh, it would seem to be that kind of dichotomy between those two perspectives. It's sin and we want to get rid of it, or it's going to happen and let's just regulate it safely. But that, is that a fair uh, uh, sum, sum, summation? You know, um, I actually think that, that that is pretty fair in terms of what we're looking at. Um, prostitution's been around a very long time, and there's, uh, you know, there's always the temptation to say that this is an illegal activity, we should be getting rid of it. Um, and there are lots of illegal activities that are going to remain illegal till the end of time. We can't, you can't hit people, you can't steal things, but other things um, do reflect changing morals. And ultimately, prostitution is going to be one that really is, as I indicated, it's really about the ideology that Canada has. If we are going to be, um, if we view prostitution as immoral, 
well, then it can still be immoral, and we can we should be looking to abolish it as we look to abolish all illegal activities. We don't want anyone to steal. We don't want anyone to murder. However, if we look at it as just another part of Canadian society, uh, maybe not one that we completely agree with, but one that we acknowledge has a has a part of our of our fabric, then yes, I think that it should be we should be moving towards regulation. So um, I think Bill C three six, and again, uh, Minister McKay's uh, expressed. A statement was that he wanted to ab- eventually abolish a prostitution to the greater extent possible. And that was uh, during the introduction of it. Thank you for your presentation. Ruth Alzinga, I have three questions, and they uh, circulated around our table. One is, what is the Nordic model? Number two, what country might have the best laws for prostitution? And three, is an escort service a front for prostitution? And then I would ask you if you've had some wonderful questions at your table that you might share with us. Okay. I'm just scared the next person's going to have five questions or something. <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, firstly, the Nordic model, and I, I just touched on that, but basically the Nordic model is the uh, the criminalization of the purchase of sex, but not the sale. So prostitutes, a uh, person who engages in prostitution will never be found guilty of offense because it isn't one. But however, if a person acquires those services, then that person is guilty of an offense. That's the Nordic model in a, in a heartbeat. And this is why the kind of, that's why I describe Canada as the Nordic model on steroids, where both people are guilty, except the prostitute is just granted immunity after the fact. Um, so that was the first question. Uh, the second question, oh boy, um, can you help me out? Oh. So good laws is very subjective. Um, laws um, more favorable to prostitution. That includes places like New Zealand, Australia, Germany, uh, Amsterdam. Um, one of the benefits of these more relaxed laws is that they have the better ability to uh, to regulate the the sex uh, sex service industry. You are allowed to, or you can do things like uh, screening process for diseases or um, mandatory condom laws or anything like that. So um, by you know, uh, Justice Brandeis said that sunlight's the best disinfectant. Um, by essentially taking it out from the shadows and having it uh, subject to some scrutiny, you're in a much better position to regulate it, making it safer not only for uh, the sex workers but also for all those who are uh, are involved in that as well. And um, that's that's where we're at with this now. I forgot your, one of your questions, but I do want to go and just touch on my uh, the topics that we've had at our table because one of the things that I just kind of throw out as another comment is this living off the avails of prostitution one and how broad it can actually be. Um, they asked me if myself as a defense lawyer could be charged with living off the avails of prostitution <laughs> and to which... I had to say, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. You can actually go one step further than that. And, uh, you know, if you're at a convenience store and a prostitute comes in and buys a bag of chips, that is technically living wholly or in part off the avails of prostitution. Um, And I'm just going to make a brief comment here. I'm uh, fairly certain that that sort of thing will never see the light of day in an actual courtroom. Um, our judges and our prosecutors have much more sense than to uh, than to address that sort of situation. But it's a big country, and maybe somewhere down the road we'll have a, a situation that is uh, somewhat more 
questionable about that. Now, I know everyone hates slippery slope arguments, but there is actually another one that is part of these new legislations where uh, the actual definition of sexual uh, work isn't in the criminal code anywhere. So um, when we think of prostitution, we think of uh, direct type of uh, straightforward uh, sex. But it can really be extended to a lot of other things that perhaps the legislation wasn't intending to grasp. This goes to burlesque shows or um, strip clubs or any sort of, again, kind of seedy behavior. But um, just the fact that if I'm paying someone for sexual uh, work, that is technically a transaction under the, under the code and can be subject to uh, prosecution. Ah, um, most likely, yes, it would be a situation. Um, I don't know. I don't have any personal experience with escort services. <laughs> um, but uh, there can be, uh, there can definitely be that element to that. Another, uh, another interesting thing is with the advent of the internet, this uh, kind of hookup and advertising has really been, uh, is a little bit more grassroots. There are pages out there either through Craigslist or something called Backpage.com where it's pretty uh, explicitly about escort work. Um, the actual advertising is... Um, kind of coded, so to speak, but it's, uh, it is a situation where these services do exist. But the thing with escort works is, um, although the, uh, the actual activity takes place behind closed doors, so because it isn't out on the street, it isn't the solicitation that you're looking at from under the old models. It, do, it is covered by the new models under that the ban against advertising, but uh, the old models, there wouldn't have been anything, so to speak, wrong about just uh, saying that it was available. Because again, we're looking at nasty streets, and you don't have the nasty street aspect when you're uh, just at a service. Um, it would could be covered by the body house legislation, though. My name's Mary Shillington. Thank you, Wade, for an interesting uh, presentation. You simulated quite a bit of conversation at our table, too. Uh, one of the things that interested me, uh, you said that most of the uh, prostitutes, uh, and I forget how your wording was, but here certainly were uh, Aboriginal younger women. Now, I'm curious about whether that's specific to Lethbridge or whether that's Alberta or where your, your impressions about that is. And you said nothing about uh, um, male prostitutes and, and gay uh, prostitutes. So I'd be interested to hear something about that and the implications for them as well. Sure. And thanks for that question. That's something that uh, does need to be addressed. Um, ultimately, um, the vast majority of prostitutes are female. Um, I can't give you stats, but I know that one of the main um, kind of indicators for bringing this discussion back into the spotlight was, of course, the uh, the Picton uh, trial and the Picton murders where so many, um, you know, uh, dispossessed uh, Aboriginal young women were, uh, were unfortunately uh, well, murdered. It was just a, an absolute tragedy and one that... Uh, that shouldn't have happened again. So that's, um, I don't have any actual stats in terms of where it is. I just know that um, the Picton murders were one of the catalysts for that. And then just um, in viewing the 
um, in viewing the laws surrounding it, and in particular the Bedford decision at the court of uh, the Ontario Superior Court of Justice. Uh, all the facts were gathered in on that, and it was just it was uh, acknowledged that that was the vast majority of it. Now, it's by no means um, a sure thing that uh, by no means it's merely Aboriginal people, um, but that is uh, it's a sad factor that that is uh, an unfortunate part. Is most of them are younger, and most of them, or at least disproportionately Aboriginal. Um, with regards to uh, same-sex prostitution, it is also an issue. Um, again, it should be theoretically covered by the same uh, the same legislation. So it's not, I, I guess the wording itself is gender neutral and should technically be applied the same way where uh, those people, the person selling is granted immunity but not the person purchasing. My name is uh, Knut Peterson. Uh, thanks for coming today, Wade. It was great having you here. Uh, is there any way that uh, politicians can be deemed uh, prostitutes? <laughs> no, that was just this. <laughs> well, again, uh, we don't know what the definition of sexual services is, so... <laughs> oh, I meant generally speaking, but... Uh, do you see uh, social media... Or riding this uh, problem of uh, Johns and stuff like that in the future. I mean, everything happens uh, on uh, cell phones and except the actual act, I guess. Uh, do you see that uh, playing into this situation? Well, uh, absolutely. It would be a situation where just because um, the internet really makes everything more grassroots, it allows everyone who has access to a computer to post content on the internet. It, uh, it essentially allows everyone to um, make all their information more aware. So even if you're just telling a, a story about something that uh, might be a little bit intimate or a little bit embarrassing, you may have been put you may have put yourself at risk for one of the new legislations either by describing an act that unbeknownst to you was illegal or alternatively if you have a facebook page where you're describing yourself as being able to do anything for uh, dinner at red lobster um whatever anything is conscribed as kid and uh, i mean it's a little bit facetious to look at that but uh, social media really uh does affect it in the sense that everyone now has access to advertising and all sorts of sets of eyes but at the same time the actual communication communication is communication is communication if it's done via cell phone if it's done through the window of a car it's going to be the same it's just uh, if you're doing it through text you've got a message of that that that'll be easy enough to bring before the court mark Gettle again i'm just wondering is there any are there any statistics available on how many convictions there have been since this law has been enacted have body houses been closed down, escort services, massage parlors? Uh, what's happened since this new law has come to be? Um, I don't have any statistics for you. I can tell you that the uh, 
Premier of Ontario, Kathleen Wynne, has indicated that she will ask her Attorney General to actually uh, um, question the constitutionality of it. Now, I've been reading a little bit about that, and it seems like there's a little bit of a political uh, benefit to uh, Premier Wynne uh, kind of thumbing her nose at uh, uh, Prime Minister Harper. It seems that she gets some credence as being the Premier who stands up to Harper or that sort of thing. So um, in terms of how much much of it is... um, how much of it is just uh, games and how much is just looking at it um, from an objective lens. That remains to be seen. However, that is, uh, that is one fallout of the law is that, the, at least in Ontario, they're even questioning whether, it, whether they can start it up from the get-go. The other one is, is that there's a magazine in Ontario called Now Magazine, um, and that has openly stated that it's going to flaunt, so to speak, the uh, prohibition on advertising of sexual services. So as of now, there hasn't been a charge to them. So it may be that uh, this is, again, kind of more a question for ideologies than a question for the courts. Uh, Gary Stoffer here. I have two questions. To what extent is organized crime involved in prostitution? Are there any figures as percentage? Secondly, if Mr. Harper were to phone you tomorrow and ask you to rewrite the law, what elements would you like to see in the law and what elements would you like to not have in the law? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, firstly, uh, is organized crime uh, involved in this? Uh, yes. Um, again, I'm speaking from the Lethbridge perspective, and I haven't saw a whole lot of uh, I haven't saw a lot of inroads with regards to that, at least in terms of Lethbridge. But I do know that there have been uh, Hell's Angels involved in that, and alternatively, um, a large portion, and perhaps the seediest and most uh, most viable, or sorry, excuse me, uh, villainous aspect of of the prostitution is, of course, prostitution that involves children. Now, that stuff that is illegal now was illegal then and should always be illegal. Um, and it's a complex procedure getting these, uh, getting uh, children overseas, getting them involved in this uh, lifestyle, and uh, putting them, uh, keeping them away from prying eyes of the police and that sort of thing. So um, the organized crime is involved in that, and that's definitely, um, and it is involved in some of the more, the more uh, seedy and, and horrible elements of it. If uh, Prime Minister Harper was to call me up today and say, how you, how, what do you want to do with this law? I'd uh, probably just tell him to scrap it. Um, I, I tried to... I try to keep my politics out of it because I, I, I want to try. My uh, my um, goal is is awareness, but um, I'm a lawyer, so lawyers like laws, but we also like to regulate things. Um, I think that if we do adopt a model that's much more in line with uh, with uh, Germany or something like that, where people who choose to be prostitutes can do be can um, engage in sex work in a healthy and safe manner. And uh, the other thing I tell them to do is put a lot or take the money and put it towards uh, helping those who are looking to transcend or transcide out of it, um, getting themselves in a position where if they're in prostitution because they're supporting a, a habit or if they're in prostitution because they're in a very bad relationship, have a situation where that will be um, able for ha- to have them escape it. Um, the one other element of this, and this is one element that was addressed at length in all sorts of courts in all levels of the Bedford decision, but kind of 
gets lost a little bit in the whole abolitionist aspect of Bill C-36 is the the talk of exploitation. And exploitation was the major concern um, in the court's decisions, and that is something that is uh, does still need to be a law. There does still need to be a law regarding anyone who's exploiting another person, especially when you're exploiting them for the purpose of something so intimate to them as their sexual identity and, uh, and sexual worth. Um, so... I, I think that there needs to be something in place to deal with those situations where there's an imbalance of power and uh, and situations where there's exploitation and uh, obviously obviously when uh, minors are involved. But um, if if it's two consenting adults, let them have at it. Uh, my name is Greg McCaughey. I think you've discussed a large part of it. I, I, I frame this in terms of a polit- – it's really a political issue and not a, a legal issue in terms of if one party came out and supported legalization, what would that do to their election chances? So until we get the politics sorted out and everybody in Canada says we'll support a party or not a supported party that says this is the answer, it, it, we're just going to go round and around and around in big circles. Thanks. Yeah. And just a comment on that, I'm Bill C-36, and I'm not going to be able to quote it verbatim, but I'm pretty sure that the actual title of it was Protection Against Exploited People's Act or something like that. So um, who doesn't like protection against the, or protection for exploited peoples? Um, it's just what the, actual, what the law actual does. So you look at the intention or you look at the actual stated intention, which is abolition. You look at what the law is called and it's protection, and you look at what it actually does, which might be neither of those things. Um, it's, you know, it, there definitely is a major political element to it, and it's an optical element too. People love pro, people love. Uh, protection of exploited people. Uh, people love being tough on crime, but how that is done determines our ideology more than just what exactly is written. Hi. Hi, my name is Henning Mundel. Partly following on uh, the previous uh, questioner, um, but let me do a mini preamble. It was maybe unfortunate the direction you took Bill C-36 and Peter McKay coming out of left wing. I think it came out of right wing. <laughs> but let's, uh, assuming another party forms the next government, do you think they will repeal Bill C-36? Um, <laughs> that's this coffee shop talk for me. I don't know nothing about politics. Um, what I what I've saw is uh, you know uh, Justin Trudeau should he be formed government uh, has indicated that uh, his focus is on on legislation have at least been with regards to uh, legalization of marijuana so more so than um, anything to deal with B- Bill C thirty six I think that's a little bit more of a palatable, palatable issue uh, than than uh, of course dealing with uh, people who are kind of already on the margins of society I don't know a whole lot of prostitutes that vote but I'm sure there's a lot of people who indulge in uh, smoking pot recreationally. Um, I think that's a better issue for him to go about. Um, all I can say other, based on that extrapolation is if he's going to be more liberal with one aspect of the law, he may be more liberal with another. And, uh, you know, if it's the conservative government that brought in those laws, if another government brings in those laws, they may, or if another government forms power, they probably won't. And I think that... Uh, I'd have to take a look again, but I'm fairly certain both NDP and uh, Liberals voted against uh, the law. But I, uh, I do note that in the Hansard and in the discussion, there was a lot of attention drawn to the fact that these, uh, these laws may not make the situation any better for those who are most at risk. So um, it was debated in Parliament, and other people did comment other thing, anything other than uh, this is a good law. 
it's coffee shop talk though. I mean, you've got a better crystal ball than I do with regards to that because you've got more experience I can <laughs> I have one question. Um, so at our table, we were talking about how in, in Europe that there seems to be another total social um, view with sexuality. So a person, individual rights to obtain sexual um, services for their whole well-being. Now, with the creation of this legislation or whatever, or in these legislation, is there like a medical or a person's right viewed with this? Because if they were able to obtain sexual services as their whole being, then who would be providing that? Was that was there any discussion with that? Not in the course of the legislation. I think um, everything is classified as the same. However. With regards to your point, it would be kind of an inverse uh, Bedford situation because if we are talking about a person who has a legitimate medical condition and who uh, would absolutely benefit from sexual services, however they may be, whether it is actual uh, full-on sex or just some situation where uh, intimacy is uh, required and cannot be provided any other way, well, then we might be looking right back at that Section uh, 7 argument for security of person and uh, what, what that entails because... Uh, if it is a situation where this is a medical requirement that will that will give a medical advantage, well, I guess the parallel to that might be that uh, you know medical marijuana is is uh, legalized in Canada too. So maybe medical sex work would be the next step or the compromise that might find its way through the courts. Thank you very much for your presentation, and we did do a lot of conversing over at our table. Um, I have, my name is Frances Schultz, and I have perhaps a facetious comment to make, but considering the unreported crimes that we were going to build more prisons for, perhaps we needed a law to create more crimes that could be reported. Um, but my question, my, my concern is what you did bring up before, the fact that that there is so much need to help people get out of the situation that they're in, and, and there's no focus on that. And do you think there's any way, even, even for example, an inquiry into the lost and murdered Aboriginal women, that gets sidelined, and I'm wondering why really important issues like that get sidelined, and something like this takes front center stage. Um, yeah, excellent comments. Why this took center stage is an easy enough answer. It's because the Supreme Court of Canada struck down the old stuff. So they needed to put a new law in place. Why they chose to handle it the way they did, again, that speaks to the ideological uh, nature of the uh, of the. Canadian people as represented by the uh, represented by Parliament um, so that's why this has taken stage um, why both can't happen is beyond me it's not like uh, it's not like a situation where we can either fight ISIS or Ebola we can do both and we can you know um, let's if you have a broad view of of leadership and of how Canada wants to wants to be you can you know, I think you have a better nation overall um, Again, don't know why they they sidetracked the other one. Um, uh, that's like asking me who's going to win the next election or, or what they do if they did. Uh. Well, that's the end of our um, question round. So I'd like to thank you, Wade, so much for coming today. I appreciate that. Great presentation.
And just a friendly reminder that